0: to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read tonight the chapter. It just happens at the end of the book we're dividing it up this way. Um, I think if I were speaking directly from the text itself to the just into paragraph form only, I would have gone through verse 10 to chapter 6, but that is a really long section. And so I'm going to divide it up and speak on chapter six next week or or actually in a a few weeks. But I'd like you to focus in on chapter five. Stand fast or remain, abide, don't move. In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you absolutely nothing. Okay, I added the emphasis there, but you need to understand what he's saying. No profit, okay? For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to you. where so Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but... Faith which works by love. Now you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not out of him that calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubles you, he will bear his judgment, whoever he be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? This then is the offense of the cross ceased, or then is the offense of the cross ceased, or it's ended. I were, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. For brothers, or brethren, you have been called to liberty, but do not use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This then I say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because, or in other words, or for this reason, the flesh, it lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Can can you all circle that in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, put big arrows by it, take a big gold sticker and stick it by that verse. If you are led of the spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness revelings and such like. He just says, I could go on, all right? I could just keep writing. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, they which do such things shall not in any wise, no way, no chance, no how, enter into the kingdom of God. But on the contrast, here's the contrasting but. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. So if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The American West is it was a colorful time. It has passed. It's gone And one of its most colorful uh, characters was Wyatt Earp, a lawman sometimes. I think it probably depends on who you ask. Earp was born into a difficult family. His parents were from that generation of Americans where life was hard, and his father was known to be a hard man. If you can imagine, Wyatt Earp, at 13 years old, tried his best to enlist in the Union Army during the American Civil War. He actually ran away from home on multiple occasions trying to enlist. He got, kept getting turned down, and his dad would just drag him back to their farm in Iowa. His young adulthood was spent doing various things that people in the American West back then did. Hunting, uh, gambling, fighting, a little bit of horse stealing. I think he was more outlaw than lawman sometimes. And of course, he's famous now because in later years... He was known for the gunfight at O.K. Corral. I think Christianity can feel like the Wild West sometimes. You you just kind of get that wild spirit about Christians, particularly American Christians, but Christians globally. And I think part of the reason for that is we don't always apply Scripture the same way. If you think about it back in that American West context, Different laws for different places. Every town had its own lawman. Every town had kind of its own way of living life. And I think in Christianity, that's true too. In fact, the way I was taught in seminary and the way I teach it is what I call the four P's. Not like little green peas, but P's like the letter P. And they stand for precepts. These are the non-negotiable things Uh, from scripture. These are the thus saith the Lord statements. And then you have principles. And principles, they're not quite as uh, important as precepts, but they're very important. And then after principles, you have practices. This is kind of where the application of scripture comes into play, where we begin applying what we've learned to the Christian life. And then finally, preferences. And the way preferences are, these are just kind of, as the word is, what you prefer. Now, precepts, at least in terms of Christianity, there is almost universal agreement. If a person is a Christian, there are certain doctrines he just really has to believe or, or he's not a Christian. And so there's almost universal agreement. And I would say even with principles, there is general agreement. Some disagreements, but general agreement. But then when you get to practices, well, there's a lot of disagreement. And, and uh, I would say uh, oftentimes the disagreement falls along cultural lines. This is the way we do it. It's different from the way you do it. And then finally, there are preferences, and and uh even within a church, you're gonna have hundreds of different preferences. Uh, I will tell you that as an individual, preferences that I had 20 years ago are are different than preferences I have now. As I've grown and walked with the Lord for 20 more years, my preferences have changed somewhat and quite a bit. And I think what ends up happening is, is that sometimes one's personal preferences for them, they think of them as principles or even precepts. What ends up happening is, thus saith the pastor in a church, or thus saith the the deacon, or or whoever is most influential, thus saith that individual, sometimes it's a lady. Whoever that individual is, that ends up becoming kind of the, the general thinking of the church. And instead of it being the Lord's words that are most important, that individual's words become most important. Uh, the danger is, is when we elevate our practices and preferences to the level of precepts and principles. We don't want to do that. and And I think what happens is, let me give you some examples, things like infant baptism. We don't practice that here in this church. But there have been, some of you have been were baptized as babies. Uh, ch- local church-only ism. And, and I would just say anytime you hear the word ism at the end of a Christian word, you, you can almost guarantee that that has been lifted up out of Scripture. Usually it's somewhere between a, a principle and a practice, and it's been elevated to a precept. And it's very, very dangerous. And then finally, cultural standards. And this is where things like uh, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't run with girls that do. That kind of thinking becomes part of a church culture. And um, I've actually heard people say, well, our church doesn't do that. That's fine. Every church is free. It's autonomy to choose what it's going to do for itself. But you need to understand that just because a church does something a certain way doesn't make it absolutely God's way. There are Christians in other parts of the world who do things differently than the way we do it, it doesn't make us right and them wrong, or us wrong and them right. And so the problem here, I think, is that these differences make people nervous. I can even tell as I've been talking, some of you have gotten a little nervous. You're a little worried where I'm headed with this. (laughs) That's fine, okay, that's fine. But the differences make people nervous because they feel like there must be one right way. Uh, I mean, come on, pastor, you've studied the Bible. Tell me the right way. Must be one right way. And that's the problem. Because unless it's a precept, and by the way, the precept is the one right way. Unless there's a precept, the other ways are not necessarily right. They're not necessarily wrong either. In fact, oftentimes they fall into a category that we call conscience issues. I will even say it this way. There are things that you do that would be a sin for me to do, but are not a sin for you to do. And you go, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. And that's where conscience issues come. And I don't have time to go through the whole scriptural understanding of the the conscience, but I want you to understand that that's, that's what happens. And as I develop my Christian walk with the Lord, there are going to be certain things that are similar with your Christian walk with the Lord, but there are going to be differences. Uh, talking about babies, right? Uh, the new baby in the nursery. Uh, I mentioned this morning there's a new baby on the way in our family, right? Talking about babies. Well, everybody has different ways of raising, rearing, It's the proper word, uh, uh, children. Everybody does it differently. I've, been kind of, I've kind of enjoyed watching people from other cultures in our church and the way they uh, discipline and train their children. Sometimes I scratch my head and go, well, I don't know. I don't know. But it's not for me to say it's wrong. It's just different. okay? And I'm sure there have been times they've scratched their head and looked at me and go, I don't know. But that's fine. See, there are differences. And the differences sometimes scare people. And because it is kind of the Wild West, what, what people want is they want the law to step in. What we really need is a lawman. Let's go out and find a spiritual Wyatt Earp. earth. And he can put on his his biblical six shooters and he can walk through the church and just make sure everybody's living exactly like they're supposed to live. And let me just tell you, there are people who are like that. They they just feel it's their job to go around and confront everybody about every little thing that they're doing. I, I had a man call me years and years ago to confront me over something I'd said and and it was nothing, but it apparently offended him because his offense meter was on like 100. You know, you have offense meters one to 100. His offense meter was like 99, okay? And so I said to him, I said, look, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to offend you. It was no ill intent in what I said. Please, please forgive me for saying that. And he said, look, a righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. He's quoting this verse, and I'm thinking, okay, now you and I need to have another conversation. <laughs> But, but it's just you want that lawman to step in. It, you know, you're in the hallway and you hear somebody say they did such and such over the weekend. And I even hesitate to say what such and such might be. But they did something over the weekend. And all of a sudden, you know, one person is over there going, oh, really? That's oh, Christians don't do that. That's that's not what I think Christians should do. And, and it's not anything. What, you know, over the weekend, I robbed a bank. Okay. Obviously, okay. Thou shalt not steal. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the preferences. And those preferential things, to them, is super important. And you know what? It's fine for it to be super important for them. It ought to be. Because they know their own walk with the Lord, where where they are. It's okay that it's super important. But just because it's super important for them doesn't mean... It needs to be super important for everybody else. And this is where they want the lawman to step in. I have actually had people say to me things like, you need to preach on this topic, or you need to preach on that topic, or you need to preach on this area. And and I'm going, well, I appreciate what you're saying. You're you're just saying you think maybe it would help people, but you need to understand that that if I preach on that subject matter, I am now outside the the confines of the book. I've told you this. I hope you really do take this to heart. What I say as it is biblical, you have an obligation to obey. Whatever I say that's applicational, if it's not biblical, you have no obligation to obey it. In fact, if it's not biblical, you probably should ignore it. And I can promise you there are not many pastors standing up in pulpits today saying, you should ignore some of the things that I say. But you should. It happens sometimes. We make, pastors make statements that are wrong or, or they are slightly unbiblical. And when that happens, you know, you file it. Okay, I think he's off there. That's fine. But when, but when thus saith the Lord is being said, man, you've got to follow that. That's God's word. So what happens here in our text is you've got these people, the Judaizers, and and they are coming in and they're saying, unless you become a Jew, you cannot be saved. It, It is not just for salvation that they are saying this. They want these people to convert to Judaism first, then convert to Christianity But in converting to Judaism, they want them to adopt all of the legal constraints of Judaism into their new Christian faith. I'm just going to tell you something. If if we had a time machine and we could pick up the church in Jerusalem and bring them to Cary, North Carolina, bring them right here. Okay. Pick them up. You got James, the pastor. He was was, uh, um, Jesus's half brother. Not the guy, not the, uh, the apostle James. He was, he had his head cut off by Herod. It's, it's, uh, James is the half brother of Jesus. And he wrote the book of James. You pick him up, pick that church up, bring him over here, plop him down. Okay. And they're here. And then we tell them all, they, they, they haven't been with us long. They come in the door, they sit down. First of all, we're gonna look really differently, right? In our clothes. And uh, I imagine some of them are gonna be wearing head coverings of some kind. And their hair is going to be different. And and then, you know, assuming they know English, okay, we have to fudge on this a little bit. They, they know our language. We get up, and I make an announcement, and I say, next Saturday is a work day. What do you think they're going to say? I'm not working on Saturday. Do, do you realize that the first Saturday work day that we had, if you're applying Old Testament law as it's written... Uh, the most righteous among you should have picked up stones and stoned the rest of us to death, right? Because that's what the law requires. The man picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, Moses set him aside, said, what do we do with him? And God said, stone him, and they stoned him. And I'm just telling you that the Judaizers were saying, they, they were looking at this and saying, you know, you know what we need to do is we we need to have these people take upon them all of the law upon their lives. And, and, and in our modern construct, I, I don't think any, anybody in churches today are going through church saying, you need to become a Jew, become a Christian, and take on all the laws of Judaism in order to be a good Christian. I don't think that's happening. It actually is in some some places, but it's very few and far between. What's actually happening instead is something more like this. You need to adopt all of the way I look at life, all the cultural things, I, the way I'm looking at life. It was called, in scholarly world, it's called cultural fundamentalism. You need to adopt all of these cultural standards that I have, that I think are really, really, really important, And you have to adopt them too, or you're not walking with the Lord like you should be. And there's where the danger lies. It's not quite the same as Judaism, but boy, is it similar. And what you need to understand is, is that true spiritual life is in Christ. There is no life in law-keeping. That's why Paul tells them in verse 1 to remain in the liberty that they have in Christ. Remain free from the law. Verse 18. You are not under the law. Remain free from it. Stay put in your liberty. Christ made you free, so don't go back. Don't be ensnared again by the law because it's like a harness that actually enslaves you. So he says, because of this, don't practice ritual circumcision. This is just his application. The main principle here is, uh, don't go back to the law. And the application of that is don't practice ritual circumcision because we no longer have relation to law keeping, which included circumcision any longer. Circumcision was part of an old system and actually predated the law. We are not under that system any longer. And if you practice circumcision, you are, in essence, Paul says, leaving Christ so if you go back and you start elevating rules in the sense of, I'm going to constrict myself so that I really believe now I'm pleasing God because of the way I'm living. If you, if you live by those rules, then in essence, you are going away from where Christ is putting you. You're not really living the way he wants you to live. Returning to the demands of the law, and then returning to, literally returning to indebtedness. Because now, he says, you're indebted to do the whole law. It means you turn from the gospel itself. Paul makes two powerful statements about Christ here. He says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. None. Worse, the work of Christ has no impact on your situation. And and he makes a play on words here. that It's probably good that the young people are at Kids for Truth here. He basically says, when you cut off that part of the body that comes to circumcision, you're actually cutting yourself off from Christ. And then, and then he makes a statement here that's a little bit graphic. I kind of wish they just go away and emasculate themselves completely. Which uh, Paul's, it's a pretty powerful statement. So Paul's conclusion is you've fallen from grace. You, you, go, you go back to Judaism, you have left your faith. You've left grace. You're not spiritually alive because the law can only reveal spiritual death. So spiritual life, Paul says in verse 5, comes only through faith in Christ. We, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. If it's not through law-keeping, it's only through Christ. And the Spirit is working to produce faith in us. Paul has already mentioned the Spirit's work a couple of times. Back in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he said the Spirit is evident in those who believe. Back in chapter 4, verse 6, he said the Spirit indwells those who are God's children. So now he's saying, here's what the Spirit is doing. You are waiting through the Spirit, waiting for the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, literally, the text says, by the Spirit, through faith. That's what we're doing. And our faith hopes, it's hoping for the righteousness that comes only through Christ. And of course, we are presently justified by faith in Christ, but there's a sense in which we're waiting for the full consummation of that to occur. It's almost like uh, an end times perspective. We have it right now, but we're kind of waiting for the full sense to occur, which is why Paul calls it hope. And so any move away from this is a move towards judgment. That's why in verse 7 he talks about these people who compromise with false gospel. That's doctrinal surrender. It's disobedience to the truth. It's not from the Lord at all. And the smallest leaven, you will let the littlest bit of this into your life. It just will completely consume you. It takes completely over your life. Just like leaven overtakes a ball of dough. And that moves you towards judgment. And that's why Paul says the false teachers, they'll be judged by God. They they, they remain opposed by Paul. Paul says, I'm going to stand against them. And, and his hope is, as they will be completely cut off. So I, I hope you realize there is no spiritual life in law keeping. Can you just realize the the liberating reality of that? God doesn't love me any less if I don't keep the law. You are free from it. Completely free from its demands. It has no demand over you at all. Well, now my Wild West friend comes in, right, with his spiritual six shooters. And he doesn't like this. Because he's going way, 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 way. So I can do anything? No. I am free in Christ, but I'm still in Christ. So this is point number two. Just as spiritual life comes from Christ, true spiritual living comes from life in the Spirit. I'm not under the law, but I am under something, Paul says, right? I'm under what? I'm under grace. In fact, he's going to say in chapter 6, he's going to talk about doing the law of Christ. So there is still a law in the New Testament, but all those Old Testament laws, I I really, I'll tell you, there's debate, scholars debate. My position is almost what they would call antinomianism. That's because they're insulting to people like me. I I have, in my mind, no relation to the Old Testament law at all. None at all. I, I am not Jewish, so it doesn't apply to me. And I would even go so far as even the Ten Commandments, what I get out of the Ten Commandments is the character of God, but I don't truly follow them. Now wait, here's why. Freedom from the law should not result in lawless behavior. See, that's that's the key. He says here, for brothers, you've been called to liberty, but don't use your liberty as an occasion to your flesh. See, I still have my sinful flesh. It's still here. Sorry, folks. This is the best pastor you're ever going to get, as long as you're here, as long as I'm here. So who knows how long that is. But however long it is, I have sinful flesh. You do too, so the best church member I ever will get is you. Okay? As long as you're here, as long as I'm here, this is what we're stuck with. Sinful church member, sinful pastor, we both have sinful flesh. And, And you say, well, I'm free. The law doesn't apply to me. I can do whatever I want. That's called libertinism. The libertines said, I'm free. I can just be licentious. I I can just do whatever. It doesn't matter. And Paul says, no, 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 no. In fact, he says, he says, but by love serve each other. Then he makes this interesting statement because guess what? When you love one another, you're actually fulfilling the law. I, I don't need a law to say to me, don't murder somebody else. Why? Because if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm invoking love out of my life, which means I'm not going to murder them. So while I'm not living by the law, walking by the Spirit, by the control of the Spirit, He's still controlling me. So being untethered from the law doesn't mean being untethered from godliness. Being in Christ means no longer being under the law. And there were people who thought that meant lawlessness. We're back to the Wild West. And I say, no, no. Being tethered to Christ means living like Christ in godly love so that our lives are characterized by loving service toward each other. I don't have to know that the law says don't steal, not to slip my hand into your purse, grab your keys, and drive off with your car. I love you. I'm not going to do that. And I don't need the law to tell me not to. In fact, loving one another seeks to accomplish everything that the law seeks to accomplish. It actually makes the law superfluous. It fulfills the law. Loving each other teaches me to honor my parents, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not, not to give false testimony in court cases, Was Bob at the scene of the crime? Oh, yeah, Bob was there when I know Bob wasn't there. Yeah, Bob was there. Absolutely, Bob was there. Yeah, well, that's false testimony. You don't love Bob if you're going to lie about him in a court case. Not murdering others, not coveting what they have. It treats others the way one wants to be treated himself. And when there is no love, there's just pain. He says, you're going to loveless believers hurt each other. Do Do you realize that? When, when two Christians in a church don't love one another like they should, the, the teeth get bared and they begin biting each other. And that's pain. The imagery here is of one eating his dinner. You're going to bite and devour each other. Paul's answer is law walking is replaced by spirit walking. So he says, order your lives in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Because the flesh, it lusts, it it fights against the spirit and the spirit fights against the flesh. And these, they're against one another. They're contrary. So that you cannot do the things that you would. Uh, We're we're right back to Romans 7. What I want to do, I don't do. What I I don't want to do, that's what I do. When I'm in my flesh, I'm doing the things I hate. And and I like Paul say, I'm a wretched man. I need deliverance. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God. He's delivered me through Jesus Christ. But the flesh is a terrible master. And the works of the flesh, these are sins that Christians can commit. Did you read them? It sounds like unbelievers. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, all sexual sins. Idolatry, witchcraft, and they go together. Hatred and variance, and emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, or divisions. Do do you know when churches split, when churches divide, when Christians become divisive, that's flesh, not spirit. That's what heresies means. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, all, all of these things. That's just flesh, 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 flesh. And I tell you, I've told you, this is how unbelievers live. The people who do these things, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't live like that. And you say, well, how am I not going to live like that if I don't have rules? If I order my life in the Spirit, look at verse 22, out of me comes such fruit of love and joy and peace. And I love that word long-suffering. I, just can, I can just be patient with other people and gentleness. Oh God, give us gentle Christians. Meekness, there's a humility that comes with walking in the Spirit and goodness and faith. Years ago, a Christian college produced a series of videos uh, against a couple of other Christian colleges over a doctrinal issue. And they sent me a copy. I sent my copy to my dad. My dad took my copy to his pastor who actually taught at one of the colleges that was being attacked. His my my dad's pastor. He was my pastor when I was in high school and 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 and, high, and junior high. He was named by name in the video. He was horribly criticized, lied about, maligned. My dad sticks the video in. His pastor is watching this video, and the video ends. And he looked over, and he said, "My pastor was in tears." And instead of defending himself, here's all he said. Well, what if they're wrong? No anger, no hatred. And you know, as a young man, I thought, I'd have my spiritual six shooters out. I'm ready to go to war. It's the Wild West. No, just that sweet, gentle spirit that comes from a man walking with Christ. You don't need the law tell you, don't get angry when you have the Holy Spirit in control of your heart. You see, this is the kind of godliness produced by the Spirit. Flesh living produces horrible things. Immorality, conflict, detachment from godly living. But, but when you live in the Spirit, when He is controlling you, out of you, you can't produce this stuff on your own. He's doing it. And out of you, His life is coming out. It's the love of Christ coming out of it's, it's the joy of Christ coming out of you. It's his peace and his patience and his goodness. It's, it's him. And you see, Jesus didn't need a law to tell him how to live. He wrote it. These are his words that he says are going to accomplish what I sent it to do, right? Our memory verse. It'll accomplish everything I'm sending it to do. These are the words of Christ. God's words. God's words. But he says, I don't need that because he, even Jesus, was ordering his life in the Spirit while he was on earth. And every single one of us have that, that we can order our lives in the Spirit to live that balanced life of faith and humility. This is how we're to live. And so he concludes, so put to death your simple desires and order your life in the Spirit and treat each other with respect. And what great application! He says, if you really want to be the Christian you're supposed to be, then cut off all of your sinful desires. Just get rid of them out of your life. Just say, I hate those things and turn away from them. And just say, okay, God, you have control of me. You control my tongue. You control my hands. You control my eyes. You control my ears. It's the little children's song still being applied. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Careful little tongue, what you say? Or as my elementary school teacher used to say, she said, it's not self-control, boys and girls. It's God control. And I was just in second grade, and I still remember that. God controlling me. And when you do that, you know what? You do treat other people with respect. Let us be de- not be desirous of glory for ourselves, provoking one another and envying one another. No, treat each other with respect. Sh- show people that just the, the golden rule. If I, if I want you to be happy for me when something good happens, then I'm going to be happy for you when something good happens. And when things go wrong for you, if I want you to be sad for me when they go wrong for me, I'll be sad for you when they go wrong for you. And when when you're struggling, I'm going to be there for you. And when I'm struggling, I hope you're there for me because this is what we do. Instead of going, finally. Finally, she got, I knew it was going to happen. It finally happened. No. We weep with those who weep. Because we love them. And the whole law then becomes fulfilled. And we didn't need the law to do it. Those who desire to live the law-controlled life find that they end up living lawlessly. Worse, they want to control others too. They want others to be just as lawless as they are. And that doesn't work. The only kind of life that is controlled is one when God is in complete control. May God give us the ability to do that. Let's pray together. Father.